All right, Red Rocks Austin, stay on your feet for a second. Hey, it's the Christmas season. It feels so great being in that lobby uh, time of year when we focus in and celebrate Jesus, which we do every week at this church, every week of the year, but especially around this time of year. And uh, I want to welcome you, tell you that I love you, whether you like it, whether you know it, I love this church family. It may not feel like that all day because I'm going to challenge you today, but it's because I love you. And uh, I wanted to start by reading a passage that we read often uh, around Christmas time. It's from Isaiah chapter 9, as we're all standing, and just taking a second to uh, maybe make a posture shift into the holiday season and remember what this is all about. Isaiah says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And we celebrate the coming of that king that Isaiah was foretelling as a church family right now. And so you guys can take a seat. Uh, as we step into this time of year, not only is it Christmas time, it is the final month of the dumpster fire that has been 2020. I would say that most people are pretty ready to turn the page. And while everything's not going to magically change when it's 2021, at least 2020 will be in the past. And so this is going to sound really cliche for me to say, but I want to challenge us as a church family to make the most of these final weeks together. I believe that we are coming out of a very, very difficult time as a church family, and yet we're still here, and not just that we're still here, but we are moving forward. We are building. We are growing. There are new faces that are finding this family. Welcome to all of you. We have come out of a year where, quite honestly, we probably shouldn't still be here, but we're a generous church, a church that is unified in this mission, and we have continued to build, and we are building far beyond getting to 2021 for years to come. And I think what we're doing right now, talking about kingdom building, inviting you into kingdom building, when we talk about things like love our city or a year-end offering, we are setting a tone right now as a church family that is going to carry momentum into the next years to come. We are telling this city, hey, Red Rocks Church means business when it comes to the kingdom, when it means loving and serving you, the city that we are in. And I believe this momentum, I believe there will be stories of impact upon stories of impact to tell because of what is happening right now. And we'll look back and say, man, we didn't just make it through 2020. We grew in depth of faith. We became stronger. We were refined. And it was for all these stories to come that we can't quite see yet. And so I know that sounds awesome, all of those kinds of things, except maybe when one comes up in church, something like an offering. And I get it, money is about everyone's least favorite topic in church, and it's not the focus of the message today, but I wanted to say really quickly and make sure that you hear our heart behind something like a year-end offering or why we bring up money, why we talk about it as a church. And I, I feel the weight. I understand as somebody who communicates about it, this past summer, Doug and I um, taught a vows class to 10 engaged couples from our church preparing for marriage. And uh, as we laid out the schedule of topics to talk to them about, the one that was looming in my mind was money, finances. 
the week where we were going to get in some faces and say, hey, this is what God says about money, and the world may say this, you may have grown up like this, but this is what God says about stewarding what he gives to you in this life and how that should look in marriage. And I felt I had that looming more in my mind that finance week than I did the sex week. And I'm honestly not really uncomfortable to talk about money or sex. However, when Doug and I laid out the calendar, we told the vows class, this is how it's going to go. And then my parents decided to come visit Austin. And we said, well, whenever they come down, they have to be our guest teachers because they've been married for 35 years, wealth of wisdom, amazing people. They mentor young couples, so we'll let them teach. And because God has a sense of humor, an extra sense of humor in my life, my parents booked their flights for sex weekend. (laughs) Yet still, looming in my mind was the finance week, even more than listening to my parents talk about sex for two hours. It's a tough topic to approach. And we don't talk about it all the time at this church, but we will talk about it because Jesus did often. And we will challenge you in a principle and a lifestyle of generosity that is far beyond trying to fill a basket or keep lights on. This is about freedom in your life. This is about joy in your life. And so if you're somebody hearing about this and you're like, I don't know if I wanna take part in that next weekend, or you feel obligated, this isn't your church home, you don't believe in the vision of this church, for whatever reason, then please don't. This is not about twisting your arm. We want this to be a joyful, cheerful thing for us as a church, and I believe it will be. And it can be painful in the process to give something. You feel the weight of that, I feel the weight of that. But I believe that as we open our hands with the things that we hold so tightly to God, we experience the freedom and abundant life that he wants us to have. That's why we will challenge you. That's why we will ask you to help build the kingdom because we believe it is the best life you can live And we believe that there is freedom and joy for you. So hear our heart on that. And today, like I said, I'm not going to talk specifically about money, but it does fall under kingdom building. Inviting you, saying you're invited to build the kingdom. Now, when I say that, what does that mean? Like, what are we even building? What is the kingdom? I think as Christians, we speak Christianese. We have a lot of catchphrases and lingo, and and we say a lot of things, and the world around us is like, what are you talking about? So I see and hear how we communicate through the eyes and ears of myself as an 18-year-old, walking into a college ministry, feeling like the one guy in the room who didn't speak the language, like walking away from interactions like, nice person, keep telling me that they want to love on me, (laughs) not love me. And they're always like, expressing how intentionally they're going to love on me. Not sure I'm comfortable with the implications of something like that. Everybody around there just keeps telling me that we're all going to do life. Well, I don't know why they don't just say live life. We're just living. We're just living. How, what's the secret recipe to do life together? Everything's got to be in community, though I don't know if I want to do everything in my life with that community because they all speak some weird language. And they keep telling me that they are devoted They've devoted their lives to building God's kingdom. They're building a kingdom with God. Is that like that Narn, those Narnia books and they got carried away and now they meet up in secret and they're building something together here on earth? Is that why a lot of churches look like castles in the world? Are we, is this year-end offering so that we can raise money to put a moat outside of the building? Everyone's gonna start riding their horses to church wearing armor, Parking team's going to set up some stables. 
We'll be serving mead and British tea at the cafe and speaking in accents. Our, our sports ministry is opening up a jousting league. Join us on the backfield. It's not 1400. Why do you Christians keep talking about some kingdom you're building? And maybe beyond the funny side of some of the things we say, and I think we all kind of just say like, yeah, that's what we're doing, but we might be like, don't really know what that means or what that is. I think to the world around us, often they would agree and say, oh yeah, Christians, they're all about their kingdom. They want to build up their walls so high that they can keep everybody else out. They want to stand up on the towers and fire their arrows and wage war against anybody who believes something different, who lives in a different way, who doesn't look and act just like them. That's, that's their kingdom. They love it. And sadly, mistakenly, I think we as the church have given the world a lot of reasons sometimes to think that that's what we mean when we're talking about the kingdom. And so I want to invite you into building the kingdom of heaven, which looks very different than what I just described. And, and I was thinking about invitations. Normally on invitation, you include the key details, who, what, when, where, that kind of stuff. And so today, I'm breaking this up with a who, what, when, where, why, and how of the kingdom of heaven. And I'm gonna give you a short answer to write down or remember for each of these, explain it a little bit, and challenge you with a question in each area so that you can know what exactly we mean when we're saying, hey, we are kingdom builders, so let's start with who. Who is involved in the kingdom of God? The answer, the short answer is God, you, everyone. Like, wow, really profound. Everybody, nice. How'd you figure that out? Let's start with God. On the first page of your Bible, Genesis chapter one, God creates everything. And we find out quickly about his character that he's a relational being that wants to share his glory. So he creates us, he creates mankind. And he tells mankind to fill the earth and subdue it, to work it, to rule and reign the earth how he would, to bring out of this earth something glorious and beautiful that looks like he would have it, that we get to enjoy his creation. Very quickly, we see what happens when humans decide, actually, we'd rather build our kingdom. We would rather put our definitions to good and evil. We would rather decide that we know best and create our kingdom. Sin enters the world, and this kingdom project is fractured. And so there's, this, there's a great book series that you can read that displays just how messy and chaotic and gross this world can get when human beings, when their kingdoms are ruling when everything is about the earthly human kingdoms. And I'm not talking about Lord of the Rings. I'm not talking about Game of Thrones. I'm talking about the Old Testament. It is a continual story of earthly human kingdoms warring, pushing each other down, trying to assert dominance, trying to gain power. And early on in the midst of what's happening with all these human kingdoms that are forming, God works through a specific family to show an alternate way to the rest of the world, an alternate kingdom. Abraham and Sarah, out of this family grows the nation of Israel, this kingdom that is supposed to look how God intends for life here to be, to give a picture to the rest of the world of who the one true God is who created all of this for us to share in. And the problem is it doesn't work very well. God gives this, this law, these guidelines, and says if you live this way, you will look different. You will live different. You will be set apart from everybody else and they will see me through it. Yet these people keep making it about themselves, just like humans 
do. So even this alternate kingdom goes through the craziest roller coaster story. And through it all, God preserves this people. They are freed from the kingdom of Egypt, story of Moses. They get to their promised land and they become a, a prominent kingdom and they have their golden age with King David. And then things go haywire all over again and it becomes about mankind and their ideas and putting their definitions to good and evil and they even find themselves in captivity to another kingdom. It's a mess. And over the drama, hanging in the balance is this tension, like what is God gonna do? He set out, he started this project to partner with human beings in this beautiful kingdom building and it's all fractured and broken and messy and has it failed? What's he gonna do? And all through this story, these prophets like Isaiah, who we just read from, they keep telling everyone, someone is coming. A king will come. He will establish this kingdom once and for all. Which, of course, brings us to Jesus. Jesus comes on the scene. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 4 when he basically steps up to the microphone and says, hey, I'm here now. The king has come. The kingdom project has not failed. It says, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Pause there for a second. Centuries and centuries and centuries before Jesus came here to earth, Isaiah wrote this. And for you Bible nerds, it was an Easter egg at the beginning of service. Same chapter, Isaiah chapter 9, starts with this, where Isaiah not only goes on to say, unto us this child is going to be born and he's going to establish the government. He will sit on the throne. This, this kingdom will reign forever. But he starts it out by calling his shot, saying this is exactly geographically where this guy is coming from. And Jesus is fulfilling that right now. And everybody around was anticipating this. This is what life revolved around, living in this kingdom, was when will this king show up? And he's here. The king has come. And here's how he opens up, tells the world of what's happening. He says, from that time on, Jesus began to preach. He says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom has come near. And pretty much everything Jesus does and says from there can be encompassed in what he just said. The kingdom is in your midst now. It is here. It is being established. He shows it, talks about it all the time. And Jesus, as that king, goes and pays to undo the fracture, to redeem humans to the Father, to the project, to the kingdom project. He lays down his life for the sin of humanity and rises with eternal life, establishing the kingdom once and for all. This is the gospel. This is the king. This is what he does. And he establishes this kingdom through his death and resurrection. And then he invites us into it. The kingdom has always been the plan and our invitation has never gone away. Jesus tells his disciples, he says, now you go. You go invite everybody. You've been invited in because of my righteousness and grace that I freely give to you because I love you that much. I have laid my life down to pay for anything that would keep you from my father and keep you from his kingdom. And so now you go 
and you invite everybody. Now, let's be clear, because we are going from Hebrew, Greek, into English, that we know biblically that definition that we're talking about when we say everybody. It means literally everybody, every person. Jesus says, go into all the nations, to all people, and proclaim the good news. And so, here's my question for you. Challenging question. Who have you disqualified from the invitation in your hand? We all do it. We all look at other people, maybe an ex-spouse, an ex-coworker, somebody we look down upon for the way they're living, somebody that has hurt us, maybe a people group that lives differently than you think they should. You say, well, God, surely you wouldn't want them to get invited into this. That would get really messy. And Jesus warns us about this kind of mentality. He tells a parable to the Pharisees, these religious guys who loved the idea of building up walls and keeping everybody out, who didn't behave and act like they thought that they should. He tells this parable, basically, a father has two sons and tells them to do something. One says he will and doesn't do it. One says he won't, but then ends up being the one who does it. And he says, which one do you think pleased the father? And they begrudgingly say, the one who actually carried out the work. And Jesus looks at these guys and he warns, I think, all of us as humans who are so, so liable to build up our walls, and keep people out. And he says to these guys, the prostitutes and tax collectors are entering ahead of you. You think that you're VIPs in this kingdom, but this kingdom is for everyone. The people that you have ostracized, they're the ones coming to me and, and realizing that it's only by my grace and my love and my good news that they have any purpose. The prostitutes and tax collectors are entering ahead of you. So who maybe have you disqualified? For some of you, it's very likely yourself. Some people sitting in this room right now, I believe that you have said there's no way I am the exception to the grace of God. I've done too much. I've gone too far. There is no way that Jesus died for me specifically. And I would challenge you with the definition of everybody, that he has welcomed you, that he has an invitation for you into his kingdom and for you then a stack of invitations to go invite everybody else. All right, so that's the who. Let's answer the what. What are we inviting all of these people to take part in? The answer to what is the kingdom, it's the reign of God. It is God ruling and reigning, God making things and moving things and doing things how he wants them. And we don't love reign, rule, this kind of kingdom language, but I think we're gonna redeem that today. And I think that our perception of that starts to get redeemed through watching Jesus because Jesus is the picture of what it looks like when God is ruling and reigning. What does Jesus say? He steps up to the microphone and he says, repent, which means stop, turn, look at me, pay attention, drop your kingdom, drop your small earthly kingdom project and take up mine. Look at what's happening. In your midst is the most important thing that has ever or will ever happen. The kingdom is at hand. So stop and turn and look. And a few verses later, Matthew gives us his first impression of what this means, what Jesus does when he's ruling and reigning. What happens? Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. What does it look like when God's reigning? Good news, grace, love, healing, freedom. 
That's what starts happening in the lives of people when God is ruling and reigning. And it's so hard for us because we have this misperception, or maybe it's an accurate perception of kingdoms based on the world. And that's why people had such a hard time grasping Jesus. Because they're like, you're the king, like, get up on the throne and start giving people orders. Jesus was all about laying his life down. So paradoxical. So upside down, this kingdom that he brings and that he talks about. He talks about things in parables describing the kingdom. You'll read, especially in Matthew, Jesus constantly saying things like, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, and some of it is very challenging. And you've got to know that. I know that I'm, I'm being blunt today about the kingdom, and I hope you know that it's from a place of love because this is the most important thing. But Jesus will confront your realities, and he will confront the places where you are building an earthly kingdom because he wants better for you because he knows the ultimate picture of all of this. And so he will get in your face and confront you with the kingdom that is now in your midst, which is his kingdom. And what it looks like is freedom and love, but sometimes it's a painful process on the way. He tells parables about crazy forgiveness, forgiving people that don't deserve it, loving our enemies. Talks about things like crazy generosity and being open-handed with whatever God puts in your life. He tells a rich young ruler it will be very hard for the rich to inherit the kingdom of heaven. Why? Because it is so easy to get so focused and distracted by your own kingdom, especially the more and more you have and never see the bigger kingdom that is in your midst. So my question for you, what areas of your life are you unwilling to let God reign in? And I'm asking this out of love. Do you look and say, okay, God, you can have this part of my life, but not this part, not this relationship. I'm doing that my way. Not my finances. I'm gonna manage my money, God, but you can have these other parts. Not my time. No, God, I, I don't want you to reign in this area because I'm worried it's gonna mess up my plan. We all do this. If you want a, a hint to decode maybe the areas of your life where you are ruling and reigning and not allowing Jesus into, let me ask you in another way, what are the most dysfunctional areas of your life? Because it's very likely those are those same areas because you are in charge and ruling and reigning and trying to put your own definitions to everything. And like we read about through all of history, maybe it's become chaotic and messy. All right, next question. Where is the kingdom? Where is it? The answer, the short answer is here. And I think a lot of times we think the kingdom is some palace out in the clouds somewhere. But Jesus, he brings the kingdom here on earth. And we are meant to live in a way that acts like the kingdom is here in our midst. Oh, I skipped when. We'll come back to it. Where? Oh, I got, see, I got my notes out of order. No, I didn't. I just turned the wrong page. The kingdom is here. So I'll trace that back to the when. Let's do that. When is the kingdom? You already know where it is. When is it? These two are tied together anyway. It is now, and it is forever. Let me major on the now part. Because I think, like I said, we kind of get the forever thing. Like one day we die and float away to the clouds or something. I don't know. The kingdom is now. Jesus brings it in the present to earth. He leaves his spirit. 
So the kingdom is now. And Jesus tells parables with urgency, talking about living our lives with urgency, about readiness. And a lot of times I think we mistakenly, as believers, think that we're supposed to frantically run around and live our whole lives to try to earn the salvation that Jesus already gave us. But rather, he talks about an urgency of living from that salvation for the sake of the people around us who who don't know, who haven't been invited, who need the invitation. And I think he, he talks about what we do now because it really matters because it carries eternal implications. There's a, a story where Jesus talks about his return and when he will come and see his disciples, his followers, that we are to be known by our love. And very tangibly, very in the here and now, he says, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. You visited me in prison. And the disciples are kind of like, well, we never did those things for you, Jesus. How will, why would you say that? How will you know? And he says, when you do this for the least of these, you're doing that for me. Talking very, very tangibly about what, what you do in this life, it matters in the here and now for the sake of the people around you. And then he says, verse 34, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. It gives us this perspective that the kingdom has always been and will always be, and we have been welcomed and invited into it, and what we do right now matters in building that kingdom. So my question for you, when do you most often lose the kingdom perspective? We can all get our phones out, point, put that on the list. When I get my phone out, very quickly, I'm distracted by all the things of this world, but what other areas of your life? What causes you to lose kingdom perspective? Maybe it's when things get tough. Maybe 2020 showed you that. As soon as things get tough, I'm mad at God. I don't know what to do and forget his kingdom. Or maybe it's when things are really good, smooth sailing, and you're like, yeah, don't really see any reason to connect with God. I'm sure that kingdom thing will take care of itself. So when, when do you lose that perspective? All right. You've all been waiting for where? Anybody have an idea of the answer? Poor Josh on ProPresenter was like, bro, what are you doing? We didn't plan this. The kingdom is here. Revelation, we kind of get this picture of the end of things when Jesus comes and establishes this kingdom once and for all and the effects of that fracture are no longer in our midst. And it doesn't describe something way out there. It actually describes a renewed heaven, renewed earth, this new earth, this kingdom project that has been brought to completion, the here, the now. And so my question for you, where has God placed you specifically here on earth? Jesus didn't say, hey, the kingdom of heaven is there. I'm gonna try to figure out a way to get you there. He said, the kingdom of heaven is here. It's at hand, it's in your midst. So it matters what you do now. And it means that God has purposefully placed you wherever he has placed you. Your life is not an accident. You don't exist just by coincidence. God uniquely crafted you, made you, and put you in a specific place in a specific time to build his kingdom, to reveal the good news of Jesus to the world. And so where has he put you? What workplace? What house that you live in? What neighborhood? What places do you frequent? Where do you seem to find yourself often? There's purpose behind that. Where has God placed you? Because it matters what you do in the here and now. 
All right, let me make sure I'm in the right order here. Who, what, when, where? Let's talk about why. And this might sound audacious of me to say, and I hope you hear my heart behind this as I explain why the kingdom of heaven. Why would you devote your entire life to the kingdom of heaven? Why would you build and sacrifice, open your hands, focus on everybody else like Jesus? Why would you do that when you could just build your own kingdom? And on this side of the world, you can build a pretty sweet one. My short answer, there's a lot of answers, but my short answer is, is that it's the only thing that matters in the end. It's the only thing that will still be here. And so hear me on this. Because of how much it matters, it gives meaning to everything in your life. And your life matters. And the things you do and the way that you're gifted and the life you live and where you are, that all matters because ultimately the kingdom, the reign of God, that's, that's connected to you. I'll illustrate it this way, the perspective I think we need to carry with this. When I was in seventh grade, I was sitting at Denver International Airport, about to go to Mexico, all-inclusive for a week, with my parents, who are awesome, and my brother, who's been my best friend my whole life. And there I was, sitting at the gate, with my headphones in, sulking. I was listening to a slow jam of some kind, I believe it was... Casey and JoJo, or Genuine. What's up, right section? Well, I'm going to make that not sound very cool because I was sitting there sulking because I was about to leave my seventh grade girlfriend for a week. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen with us? We've been together for eight days now. What if she starts liking somebody else? What if I meet someone on vacation? I don't know. Will she even remember me at the, when I come back to school in a week? Probably not. A week is an eternity in seventh grade. Sulking. And, and I look at moments like that in my life, and this is obviously a funny example, but I wish, and maybe my parents or brother tried, I wish somebody would have just walked up to me and tapped me on the shoulder. Hey, take your headphones off there. Turn off your Discman CD player. I know this seems like the biggest deal in your life. And guess what? It does matter. It matters to you, so it matters. But I just wish you could see the perspective of your whole life and everything that's to come, including right now an amazing week with your family, all the things that are ahead for you, and realize that this maybe doesn't matter quite as much as you think it does. And I I tell you that because the parable of the sulking seventh grader listening to Casey and JoJo, because... I think that's what Jesus is doing in his parables and everything he does and says is walking around while humanity plays the role of that 12-year-old in the story. So focused on our kingdoms and the momentary struggles and today, and Jesus is constantly going, hey, it matters. You matter to me. So whatever you're worried about, whatever's going on right now, it matters. But hear me. I've got to to put this in perspective for you because there is something so much grander going on right now, something so much bigger that will give you the strength in a moment like this, that will allow you to push through whatever's going on, that will see this from a bigger picture of a kingdom, the reign of God that will not be stopped and will not be broken, that is present and available for your life. Jesus had the perspective that nobody else did and he knew what mattered and what was important. He talks about the value of the kingdom of heaven. He says in Matthew 13, 
The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. He's saying, if you could see what my father has planned for you, this eternal kingdom, you would give up everything for it. You would sell everything. Rich Wilkerson, a pastor in Miami, says, Jesus wants you to stop building sandcastles and pretending that you are the king. He is the king. And he wants to help you build your life on the only foundation strong enough to withstand the storms of this life himself. He invites you into this. He challenges your kingdom because he loves you. And when we actually think about what it looks like when God is ruling and reigning through the life of Jesus, man, I want that. Matthew doubles down on what it looks like. Matthew chapter nine, he repeats the same thing he said earlier in chapter four. Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. What does the kingdom at work look like? Healing, freedom, grace, love, good news for everybody. And then it says, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, like peasants without a king. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. I've heard that a lot in my life. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few, but I've realized this week that I normally actually believe that backwards from what Jesus says. I generally think, no, no, there's not much of a harvest out there because the world doesn't want anything to do with us. They're building up their wall. They don't like Christians. They don't want to hear about Jesus there's plenty of us trying. There's just no harvest, God. But I think Jesus probably was right. In fact, I know he was. And what that means is that when the kingdom is being operated how it's supposed to, when love and grace and open-handedness and sacrifice and humility, when those are the weapons, quote unquote, that we're fighting with, everybody wants that. What he's saying is every human being deep down in their soul, they crave, they crave Jesus. They crave salvation. They crave his good news. They want it. They may not know it. They may not articulate it. They may think quite the opposite. But the harvest is plentiful. There are so many people out there that just need to be invited and see Jesus through your life. We just need to be builders. We need more. And so my question for you, and this is a tough question. Why do you or don't you want to devote your life to building God's kingdom? It's important to consider. When you look at your life with this grand perspective we're looking at today, ponder this. And if you're somebody that says, I don't care about what you're talking about. I don't care about this kingdom. I don't care about God. I want nothing to do with this. I wish you would get off that stage and stop talking so I could leave. If that's you, let me just ask you to consider why you feel that way. Maybe Jesus has been misrepresented to you. Maybe we as imperfect people, an imperfect church, an imperfect group of kingdom builders have not shown what it really looks like when God is ruling and reigning, how we're supposed to. You probably have very valid reasons to feel that way and not want anything to do with his kingdom. And I would just ask, would you consider just going to him, opening up your mouth today to talk to him or reading about his life? Consider Jesus, consider his kingdom.
straight from the source. And for, for those of you that say, heck yeah, I wanna build the kingdom. I wanna be a kingdom builder. I don't know exactly how. I know I won't do it perfectly. Jesus understands that. How then, the practical ending, how do we build the kingdom? My short answer is give it all away. Everything that God has given you, everything your life consists of, you pour it out for the sake of the invitation for all the people around you. And hear me, and I'm saying this with love, if you wanna build the kingdom of heaven, then be ready to have your kingdom torn down. Jesus loves you so much that he will get into all the areas of your life. He will poke, he will tap you on the shoulder and say, this seems like the most important thing. This is where you're putting all your attention. There's something so much grander and better going on here. I have so much more for you. I have an abundant life for you. Don't let that get robbed. And then open your hands and start building. There's a, a parable I love of the talents. Jesus says, this is a description of the kingdom. He says that there was a master who leaves for a while and while he's gone, he entrusts three servants with different amounts of money, five, two, one. And when he returns, the guy that he had given five to now has made five more. The guy who had two has made two more. They've multiplied it. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Much has been given you and much will be given through you from here. And then he goes to the guy who he gave one to. And this guy's like, I, I didn't want to screw it up. So I just buried it. I didn't want to lose it. The master's mad. And he's like, I gave something to you. I gave you something to do. And, and you, didn't, you didn't do anything. And normally we hear that story and read that. And we're like, Ugh, a little harsh. Feel like we're the guy with the one in the story. Like it doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world he could have done. But I think when we read that story, we should focus on the majority of that group, the 67%, the other two. They were given more in the beginning, probably because they knew the master better. And if that's true, then their perception of him is when he gives you something, you go play with it. It's house money. You go build, you go invest, you take some risks. Whatever he has put in your hands, you go and put that to work and make more because the harvest is plentiful. So that's what we do. We open up our hands with whatever it is, our time, our talents, our treasure, and we let Jesus rule and reign in our lives and let that reign and rule through us. And I know we don't like those kingdom words, so let me just make clear to you, the king that you are being invited to serve, the king that I'm telling you, you want ruling and reigning in your life. Here's why. Because this king, King Jesus, his enthronement came on a cross, not on a throne. He came to this world to, to give his life for his subjects. I don't know of many kings like that in the history of the world. But the story is that you have a king and when he reigns and when he rules in your life, it looks like sacrifice and freedom and healing. And he went first. It looks like good news being proclaimed. It looks like praying your kingdom come in my life, rule and reign in my life. I don't want any areas where I have put my definitions or I have decided I know better than you, God. No, I want you to rule and reign in my life. And, and the implications, what will pour out of that is you looking like Jesus to the world, you showing what it looks like when we build the kingdom the way that Jesus has called us to. It looks like a stack of invitations that have been handed to you in the here and now to go give to everybody with love, laying down yourself 
laying down your life and taking up an eternal kingdom that will never pass away and is the only thing that will still be here. So my question to close this is how can you practically display the reign of Jesus through your life? And I I could list off a million things and we will always have tangible ways as a church family of building the kingdom through this church, like love our city, like an offering, like serving here, all of these ways that you can see the purpose in your life and see yourself pouring out. But, but the question I'm asking you is bigger than a, an offering next weekend or bringing winter coats and all those amazing things that we are taking part in. It is a life question of God, you have placed me in a specific place at a specific time. You have crafted me uniquely and gifted me in such a way that there is something you want me to do. There is a life you want me to live that builds your kingdom, that shows how good you are to a plentiful harvest of people who desperately, whether they know it or not, want your rule and reign in their life because it is life eternal and it is life abundant. And so Jesus, I pray right now. Jesus, I thank you for a church family that is willing to talk real, a church family that wants to build the kingdom of heaven and sacrifice and lay our kingdoms down for one that is so much greater. And I just pray that you would equip us, that you would reveal to every person in here how they can reveal your kingdom, your goodness, your rule, your reign, your sacrifice, your salvation to the world. We thank you that you never lost this kingdom project, that you have invited us in, that you love us. And so collectively, as a Red Rocks Church family with dreams of impact, of kingdom work, of building something that is eternal. We pray in this church family that your kingdom would come. In Jesus' name, amen.